0: Welcome, welcome,
1: everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the urban farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona, and I am here with Bill McDormand tonight from Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. Welcome, Bill. Hello, hello,
2: Greg. It's good to be back.
1: Always a delight, man. So tonight <laughs> we're talking about where where seeds come from, magic or mess. So shall we just <laughs> jump in?
2: It's one of the, the big questions, especially for, say, suburban gardeners. Mm-hmm or folks that live in, you know, really quaffed I'll call it neighborhoods, mm-hmm. is that, you know, I think we're seeing some loosening of this idea that your yard has to look perfect all the time.
1: Yeah.
2: And we're loosening up and letting people grow more gardens. There's, you know, the victory garden thing that happened because of COVID was big. And they say there's more vegetable gardeners in America than ever before. You know, so all that's well and good. However, that's, sort of tolerance for anything but lawn and you know very well taken care of flower beds Mm -hmm. and when people let their vegetable garden go to seed you know because it looks like you just left town and the whole thing is just a horrible mess you know I don't know it's hard to see if you're not tuned in to what's going on with the seeds that are being produced it can you know it can look really messy and so you know that's something that those of us that are now learning that the real magic of the garden is in saving those seeds, then it's just something that we need to manage a bit for our neighbors probably and for ourselves. And we need to learn to focus on, you know, what we're really trying to do, and that is get good seeds for next year. So that's what we're here to talk about. If you've got questions about it or questions about your garden that just come up every fall, things that work or don't work, should I plant, when should I harvest, what do I do with my green tomatoes, is always asked that kind of stuff. Uh, we're here for you.
1: Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it is messy. You know, I look at my front yard right now. I've got basil going to seed. There's some uh, leftover carrots from, oh, you know, oh, yeah. last year that went have gone to <laughs> seed and oh, and cowpeas. I am harvesting. We give away cowpeas for our fruit tree program every year uh, so that people can plant them for shade underneath their fruit trees and I am harvesting right thousands of cow peas right now so and it does it does look messy yeah one of the things you know
2: one of the well i was going to say one of the things that i learned is that you know i I try to stagger my seed production and only save seeds from one vegetable or one variety you know each year or two and so i clean up the rest of it and in many cases there are some annuals and stuff i let my arugula go to seed every year and inevitably some of the lettuce does Although I, I always trim those up until the end. You know, I want lettuce that bolts late in the air. Right. You know, so, so my garden looks good for most of it. And, I, and you know, you could get enough lettuce off of one plant. <laughs> and so one, you know, for years. And so, you yeah. know, it, your whole garden doesn't have to be messy. And if you'll then, you know, rotate those other things, like let Swiss chard go one year and let your carrots go one year or let mm. your peppers And then, you know, you can sort of, you know, contain that messiness. And I Mm -hmm. found that if you put, like, a wrap twine around it or build a little, some sort of a structure to make sure it stays upright and doesn't start to bend over because of the heaviness of the seeds. Oh, yes. And that happens, especially for, like, beets and chard. You know, I've seen spinach do that, start to bend over. You know, I'll bet your carrots, if you get really heavy seed heads, they'll start to. So if you build a little structure, you know, all it takes is a stake and a string around it or whatever. Then then it looks like they're being cared for. It looks like maybe something really went wrong to your neighbors. They have no idea. But at least it looks like you're putting some effort out there. And maybe then it will scare them less that you're letting, you know, (laughs) The triffids take
1: over your life. Yeah. One of the things that I did about 15 years ago is I put up a citrus hedge that runs the entire front of my property. So I have the road. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: I have the road, my berm, and the citrus hedge. It gives me more privacy, and I can get away with more things looking not so great. Right. Because the the, the hedge slash wall is in the way. You know, plus it makes oh, all I love kinds that. of yeah, it makes all kinds of great citrus starting here in about three weeks, so which I'm really excited well, about, yeah,
2: and then if anybody if anybody complains, you either give them seeds or citrus, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> so you'll buy them off with whatever is in season, Oh, uh, yeah, which you, you you can change whole neighborhoods that way, yeah, complaints, nobody complains about my garden, they're getting eggs, they're getting carrots, they're getting mm-hmm. all.
1: <laughs> fruit trees. That's yeah. the other thing. I
2: enough to share. Yeah.
1: Yep. I, uh, I like that. for for years, you know, I do the urban farm fruit tree program here in Phoenix, and for years, anybody anybody on my street, there's 26 houses. Anybody on my street that wants a fruit tree, I give it to them, and I've given away dozens on my street. Right. And, and
2: so, what does that do? That helps your whole street, right? Exactly. We're all around you now. Yeah. Oh my God! What a great idea! You know, we're just so short sighted sometimes when we try to own and control our own properties and make them look, you know, perfect. Yeah. I mean, you should get out there and have a little fun, make a mess. And, you know, the thing about seed saving, and we talk about this a lot on this program, is that, you know, you can be a great seed saver if you don't do anything but let little parts of it get messy and just shake them really well and let the seeds reseed themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and then clean up. And so, you know, it can be a minimal thing. You don't have to, you know, get into um, cataloging them or, you know, making sure that they're all cleaned or deburred, as, you know, some people have been asking me recently with carrot seeds. Uh-huh. You know, that's what that's a question we get a lot. It's like, where are the carrot seeds? All I see are these little, like, tick-looking things. They mm-hmm. look like little bugs. Well, those are the seeds. They just have these awns on them. They've got these little stickers on them. To protect them yeah and so you know to get them to look like carrot seeds you have to you know rub them together in your hands but use gloves because they can actually cut your hands up or you know in the bottom of a box or whatever or on a piece of screen and so you know that's how you deburr them then you would need to winnow them and we've talked about those sorts of things if you have any questions you know to clean the seed and then you get it looking like the seed you buy in a packet well that's all really that. good you know if you need that. But just remember, you don't need that for your own. You don't, you don't need to deep bird if you're going to, you know, harvest it and put it in a packet. You can just plant it that way. Again, those little burrs are there to protect the seeds, you know. So why take all the protection off if you don't have to? I mean, it's just work you don't have to do. I mean, if you're going to store a lot of them or you're going to take them down to your seed library or your local seed exchange or you want to impress your friends, you know if the whole it's a cultural society, then of course, you want to clean them. You want them to look as good as they can, and learning how to do that's probably important, but not necessary in this day and age where most of us are way too busy anyway. <laughs> right? you know let's figure out how to how to hack this stuff and get the most out of our gardens with the least amount of work and sometimes sometimes it's actually better that way. You start learning from your gardens, mhm. You know what I do? I just
1: let things go to seed. I have lettuce and carrots and nasturtiums and cowpeas and parsley and basil that come back and many more things that come back year after year after year that, you know, I just let some of them go to seeds and I spread the seeds. Well, and often what I'll do is I'll grab a seed head and I'll crush it in my hand and just toss it. So it can be that easy.
2: Oh, yeah. No, that's good. Now, if people live in the northern latitudes of this country where they mm-hmm. get snow and they can get really, you know, sub-zero temperatures, you know, that may not work for everything every year. Oh, you know, yeah. what I learned in Idaho was that when I had an early blanket of snow, a
1: foot mm-hmm. of snow
2: or so, before it got really cold, then I was fine. But it was those Arctic cold fronts that would come down sub-zero temperatures oh, without yeah. any snow on the ground. And I think it sort of freeze dries everything, and it kills Mm. a lot of seeds that way. So if you want to make sure, then and you live in one of those climates, mulch. You know, put a foot of mulch on top of your garden for the winter. Just protect it. Pretend like it's a foot of snow. Yeah. And so, and that may be way easier than trying to you know manage your whole seed thing. Just shake them, let them all you know reseed where you want them. You know, and that may not even be where you want those crops the next year. But guess what? Many of them are transplantable. And so the next spring, it's like having your own little nursery. All (laughs) these thousands of little um, Swiss chard plants come up and just move the ones you want, the healthiest ones, over to where you want to grow them the next year. And so there's a lot of advantage into just mulching really well. Or, you know, if you live in Phoenix, you don't have to. And just letting things come up. I really like that. And actually, it's changed where I garden certain things year after year. it chose i didn't (laughs) it just came back
1: wow cool so we do have some questions here you want to jump into a question early because there was a really cool one here that i wanted to throw out to you this is from terry this is from terry in maricopa and i have to tell you terry i have eaten this particular plant you're asking about for decades and i've wondered about this and I never even thought to ask Bill, so thank you. So Terry says, where do seedless watermelons come from since they do not have any viable seeds to replant?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a a bit of a mystery. I learned finally when I went to Holler & Company, H-O-L-L-A-R. And Holler & Company is really a beautiful and interesting place because they're one of the last family-owned seed companies Mm -hmm. of scale, big. They sell millions of pounds of seeds. I mean, they're a big company, but they never sold out. And they're the only one on that scale that I know of that's that large that did not sell out to one of the pharmaceutical or chemical companies now that own about 60% of the world's seeds. And we went through that great consolidation. So if you ever get out to uh, Colorado, Rocky Ford, colorado uh it's on the arkansas river it's south of denver south east of denver Holler and company is still there and it's a perfect place to grow melons and cucumbers and that's why it was started almost 100 years ago now i think it was maybe 80 to 100 years ago mm-hmm. anyway they they are the melon people and they perfected these so-called um smaller seedless watermelons and, and, I, you know, I'm going, well, so why is that? Why have you put so much time and energy into doing that? And, and Bruce, the, one of the uh, lead breeders there looked at me and goes, Bill, that's what people want in the grocery stores. That's the sweet spot. If you can have a seedless watermelon that a family can eat without having to save, you know, much or store after they're done with a the meal, then bingo, people will buy it every time. So there's been huge, uh, incentive for them to be able to do this. So in order to understand how they do it, you have to understand a bit of, of, about what a hybrid is. So all of those seedless watermelons that you're asking about are hybrids. So what does that mean? The modern definition of hybrid is that it is created by crossing, intentionally cross pollinating two highly inbred parents. OK, so what they've done is they found parents that have what well, I'm trying to think about how to describe it. It's parthenocarpicness or, or something. They're parthenocarpic. And what that means, and lots of times this can be genetic,
1: mm-hmm. what that
2: means is that they don't produce seeds. And like regular watermelons, and this is a recessive trait. And so it doesn't show up in all, in all the watermelons that we're eating, right? And you wouldn't want it to in nature. Because then whatever was growing would end, right? If it didn't produce seeds, there'd be no more of the plants and the whole thing would die out. So somehow nature's learned how to push that genetic trait away and into being a recessive. So what these guys do is create two parents that both have those genes so that when they cross, that recessive expresses itself. Mm -hmm. So that offspring... And we call that the F1 generation, filial one. It's the first offspring after an intentional cross, okay? Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll have a mother row that has this trait. It's inbred. And they'll have a father row that they want the pollen from, right? And they'll intentionally pollinate those things. And this is done by hand in some areas. They've, it gets a little more complicated than that, and they've overcome that. But that's how it was originally done. So we know where the the, the pollen's coming from. We designated at the father and we're going to take it over to the mother and we're going to pollinate it. And then we just save the seeds from that mother. That mother will produce seeds. And then those are the seeds that you buy or that farmers buy. This is mm-hmm. one generation that plant out. And they grow melons, but those melons then don't produce seeds. That's how it works. Okay? So wow. they don't have to worry about... So all they have to do is keep the mother's and keep lines going, and keep reproducing those, and keep reproducing the father lines, and growing those out, and making that cross. And those, those all produce seeds. But when they're crossed intentionally, and you get both of the parthenocarpic sides or recessives together in that F1 hybrid, then it doesn't produce seeds. Now, the other thing Bruce wanted, he kind of winked at me, and he goes, "Well, you know, they do produce seeds." And so I go. They're seedless watermelons. And he goes, yeah, they are. The Parthenocarpinous properties don't always, and they're not complete. This is what we always say in breeding, never say never. Well, they never say that they never produce seeds because they do. And the ones that do, it does happen late in the season. The
0: Mm -hmm. watermelons that
2: come later on the vines. And it happens when they're really, really mature, past the eating stage. And so we just never let them get to that point. So when we pick them at perfect eating stage, they just haven't ripened enough. And right. so even then sometimes you'll find a seed in them. You know, nature isn't perfect. Yeah,
1: so, I've seen a few. So that
2: that's the seedless. And I don't know how you know, it'd be nice about a chalkboard and I could draw some pictures or whatever. But I hope that helped. So inbred parents are crossed to create a hybrid. That hybrid will not produce seeds, okay? Or produces few or produces them later. And that's what we call uh, seedless watermelons.
1: So, every single seed packet that has a seedless call it sugar baby watermelon seed in it comes from really it has to be grown out specifically for that.
2: Yes, you know. Wow. So, yeah, you know, sugar baby. Yeah, if they, they're if they're called seedless watermelons, they have to be hybrids. I mean, never say never. They may have come up with a way to do this without making them hybrids. But not, when, to my knowledge, nobody's figured that out yet or yeah. has stabilized those lines. So, yes, it's got to be a hybrid. And it has to come from an intentional cross of two highly inbred parents. Interesting. That would be the way to say it. Yeah.
1: So – what are the messiest-looking seeds in your garden? I have an answer for me. What are the messiest-looking <laughs> seeds in your garden?
2: Well, you know, we sent out a, a healer from Rocky Mountain Seedalites about this program coming up. We had a picture from my garden of um, sunflowers. And these are the ones that we call for the And so it's my head. They, started, they all started with one head, sunflowers. But now after 10 years, uh, I would guess I got 150 heads. Off of one plant, they beat. Yeah, they're reverting to their wild nature, and they're just small little sunflowers. But the birds oh. love them, and they love the little seeds. And so that is one of the damn messiest things I've ever seen in my yard. Uh, <laughs>
1: I think the messiest now all thing
2: dried and gone. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I think the messiest thing here are carrots because <laughs> they get so big and and put. You know, you can get a couple of heads off of each carrot, and then a carrot head will have. 2,000 seeds in it?
2: Yeah. I'm guessing. Well, and those little, you know, tick seed things, you know, that they look like, those are meant to grab onto you, too. Yeah. So if you brush by it, you know, with your sweater on in the morning, you know, your, your whole thing, shoulder will be covered. Yeah. yeah that's
1: messy. So let's just jump over to our Q&A again. Josie okay. from El Cajon says, do you have any recommendation, recommendations for where to get affordable bulk seeds for sprouting and microgreens? Where are, What are some good varieties that we can grow ourselves that will produce loads of seeds for sprouting? So that's a very different question. What she's looking for is sprouts and microgreens. The, do you know anything about that process? Well,
2: they're the same seeds. <laughs>
1: I figured that,
2: however, we're harvesting pounds
1: and pounds of them to, you know, to do sprouts and microgreens with.
2: Right. So, you know, I think eventually the industry will start, will figure out how to select for that. But right now they've identified a few varieties, some that are better than others. What they want really is high germination Mm -hmm. and quick germination. For regular seeds. And I do know a couple of wholesale, large scale wholesale growers of seeds that do open pollinated varieties, you know, so that, and that means they're less expensive and have a sprouting seed division now. In other words, you know, they're growing thousands of pounds of broccoli seed. So now they sell it as broccoli seed, but they also sell sprouting broccoli seed.
1: Mm -hmm. And the difference
2: there would be that it's, you know, washed and cleaned better. In other words, it's brought up to eating standards. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't do that with regular seed. It could be dusty. It could have little teeny, you know, especially if they're beans, you know, you could have little rocks in it, the same size as the beans. All those things are possible. But sprouting seeds, they go, you know, they send them through another process usually. I'm not sure everybody does, but I've, I've read where people you know, claim that they do that.
1: Yeah. So well, I know that I know there's know, a my, grower. I know there's a grower down near Yuma that grows thousands, tens of thousands of pounds of sprouting seeds. Cause one of my friends here in Phoenix runs Arizona microgreens and that's where he gets the seeds from.
2: Well, there you go. So that, that would be a good source. That's a little bit outside of my experience. The sprouting uh-huh. seed thing came late, late in my seed career, you know? So, You know, the the short answer is that you can sprout any seed. Where to buy them is to get them as close to the farmer as possible. Eliminate all those middle, middle, you know, people. I mean, we, at the great American seed up, you know, that's what we're trying to do is get, you know, pounds of seeds into people's hands. Right. And so um, that, but they are, those have not been further washed for sprouting. And maybe you don't have to wash them if you're just going to sprout them, you know.
1: Right. Well, so where would somebody get pounds of sprouting seeds? That would be the question. Who, who do you know that?
2: Well, and so and how, I would ask a further question. What do you mean by pounds? Do you mean like one to five pounds? Or do you, are you talking about 100 pounds? Because those would be different answers. Yeah. I mean, Peaceful Valley, com has done a pretty good job at uh, making sprouting seeds available.
1: And they're pretty reasonably priced. You know, if you want a couple of pounds, they are. Yeah,
2: right. For that level, and you'll get good service or whatever. You know, if you're looking for grains, you know, like sprouted wheat or sprouted sunflowers, then you can go like into a feed store almost and start. Oh, right. That. Yeah. That, that on that level. And however, I would. I think.
1: I was going to say, however, I think though, if you're go, if you're going to use them for sprouting, you want to get organic seeds.
2: Well, we. I have to, Without saying for me for everything these days, you know we're come we've come through this dark period where roundups being sprayed to dry crops down, right? And not that they would dry your crop down, but it could be in the area or around there. And it's just you know just one of those dark periods until we wake up and figure out that uh. it's causing more problems than it's solving. And so right. my my opinion, yeah. But there's a lot and a lot of I see a piece of belly. A lot of the sprouting seeds are organic. Right, I think that's become the the norm too, where you know I don't know whether uh grain r and d in Arizona, yep seeds by design
1: um, so I, I don't know if they sell to the public, are they only a wholesaler?
2: No, it's like a two hundred and fifty dollar minimum order, mhm or something, you know, and they do limit the number of people they what they may do is send you to the people that they sell to, yeah. That's sort of how the industry works. Once people get locked into their scale, they don't want to deal with other scales. Right. So don't be disappointed by that. It just means they're running efficiently, and we want everybody to run efficiently. Yeah. They can.
1: Tammy says, uh, this is our friend Tammy from Phoenix. He says, thanks, Bill and Greg. We appreciate all that you do. You bet. Let's see here. Hannah from Seattle says, I'm just going to read it. I haven't read through it, and it's it's a bit of a mouthful, so sit tight. So in Seattle had a great scarlet runner bean crop this year. I think they like our weather here, and I want to save the seeds. The trouble is it's October 20th, and they show no sign of browning, drying, shriveling, and I am anxious to plant (laughs) garlic in the same spot. Since I've waited this long, I'd really like to save the runner bean seed, although worst-case scenario, she could still eat them. But I'm trying to plan my succession plantings too. Do you have any insight on how soon they'll be mature for seed? Alternatively, is there anything I can do to help encourage them to mature?
2: That's a Spray great up. question. Spray Roundup on them? No, oh, stop okay.
1: it. Just kidding. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you can see why people invent, you know, use it because it does. It dries everything down. Yeah. You know, I'm just making a point. No, what I would do is pull them all immediately if you have a place to hang them. Pull the whole vines. And you can stack them on a tarp if you have a cool, dry place. You could hang them in a garage. You know, I don't know what your situation is. You could even hang them outside mm-hmm. underneath an eave that would get by early frosts if that's what happens to you. But pull the whole plants and they'll finish drying on their own time. And that, for me, there's no way to tell how long it'll take. I don't know the varieties for particular conditions, but yeah, eventually all that stuff, they're not too bad if you can pull the vine because all that energy in the vine will go into the seeds and they'll finish drying.
1: Mm, it. Right.
2: Hopefully that'll help.
1: And, and then plant I, your garlic. Yeah, and then plant your garlic. What I would do is I wouldn't actually pull it out of the ground. I would cut it off at ground level and leave the roots in the ground so you don't disturb the soil.
2: Well, there you go. That's a, another way to do it.
1: And, uh, you know, this, cool. the beans the beans and peas that you're eating are the same beans and peas that you plant.
2: Yeah, Terry, take some of those for next year then. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Terry says, last spring I asked you both about Armenian cucumbers, if you planted the seeds from striped and the pale green ones, if they would produce the respective kind. You said to plant each and report back. I planted each kind at the opposite ends of my garden. The striped seeds produce only three pale green and an abundance of striped Armenian cucumbers. The pale green produced only two stripes and an abundance of pale green Armenian cucumbers. I have saved the seeds this year from both. They both produced throughout the extensive heat we had here in Maricopa. Yes, Armenian cucumbers love the heat. Well, that's interesting. So they he got both kinds off of both vines.
2: Right, which means that, you know, they're not perfect, the lines that they're, you know, that they have, that there's, you know, uh, diversity in nature. Yeah. Still in there. And so, but that's fine. That's okay. And I, just so you mark the seeds from the anomalies, you know, and so that you don't mix that in with the others.
1: I just mix them all together and get Armenian cucumbers, whether striped or pale green.
2: My friend Thunderfoot has a, a variety of beans he calls anomaly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you just mixed all of the anomalies together and called it an anomaly. And so, yeah, you can do that, too. You know, color um, and, uh, and shape mean a lot to you. Then those are the things you need to pay attention to and keep segregated, yeah. as we've been saying. I think we've given up on that, Gregor. But I think you and I are both the same way. What we're, we're interested in is flavor and yep. eatability, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what color it is for me.
1: So – what kind of seeds are you saving this time of year in your garden?
2: Well, you know, I was going to tell a bit of a story about this, because right now I'm saving Swiss chard seeds. This is a great time. They, they seem to hold pretty well on their seed stocks, and there's just mm-hmm. so many of them. I mean, one plant will produce thousands. Yeah, I had a friend of mine in a community garden one time come over and look, at the end of my community garden bed in Tucson looked kind of messy, and it was because I had one Swiss chard plant there that had gone to seed. And this friend of mine who was in the bed next to me, who had been through one of my seed saving classes, looked at this thing and goes, Bill, what is that? And I go, that's Swiss chard going to seed. And you could see him with this puzzled look on his face, and then finally he got it, you know? He just never connected the fact that a plant could be so productive producing seeds and look like. Right. He had no idea what it would look like, right? And that, I love this story because it just shows that this guy knew how to knew about saving seeds, was trying to save seeds in his own. But when he was finally confronted face-to-face with the process, he didn't even recognize it. You know? right. He had to go through it once. And I think that forever changed him. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I just, I love Swiss chard, and I just harvested it. Again, you know, the little teeny things that you get uh, that come off the plant are actually five packs of seeds. And you don't have to break them up. Just plant them that way. You know, if you look really, really carefully, there's five little teeny round hard seeds embedded in this fleshy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you know, it's fun to look at Get a microscope or something. You could. Look at it. And, you know, in the industry, you can buy seed that's been cleaned. But that's really the only time you'll see it. That way they can put it in professional seeders on industrial scales. Yeah. I but just don't, harvested and...
1: Hold on before you go past nope. that. But don't do what I did a few years ago. I let beets and Swiss chard go to seed next to each other. Ooh. <laughs> They're the same family-ish. So... Um, what I got down uh, several years down the road was no beets and just greens.
2: Well, they, you know, what they call that is beet chart. <laughs> in <Right>? Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just eat that, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you have to be careful. And not only in the, in the same family, Greg. They're the same species. Yeah, they right. cross easily. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if you're going to grow them for seed, only let one or the other go to seed in one year. You can grow both beets and chard in, in your garden in the same year and eat them, but only let one or the other go to seed.
1: Yeah. Amen. So you were going to tell me other things you were saving in your garden.
2: Oh, cilantro. I just oh, yeah. gathered up all my cilantro, and I still had arugula that I had harvested. And so I cleaned and I winnowed that. That was another one I did. Let's see. Those were the three biggie. Oh, and lettuce, of course. We've got yeah. lettuce from all over. I would. My father came to me, and he wanted to plant a little fall garden. He says, I need arugula, I need lettuce, and I need chard seeds. And I just turned them around, and I looked out over the garden. And I go, there they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: You know, just nice, go grab nice. a handful wherever you look.
1: Yeah. You know, it's good. Cool. Well, I'm really excited we have an amazing event coming up in about a month. The Global Seed Summit started with an idea that you guys planted in my in my brain about five years ago. You guys were doing the Seed Summits in New Mexico, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very successful. Mountain West Seed Summit.
1: Mountain West Seed Summit. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I wanted to, on odd years, on the years that you weren't doing the Mountain West Seed Summit, I wanted to do one online. So... What we did is we put together the great global seed summit that will be four days, November 17th to the 20th. And we have some amazing presenters that I've recorded their content and we're gonna have more that we're gonna be recording next week and you'll be able to show up and it's free and you're gonna learn all kinds of stuff. One of, the, one of the people I'm particularly excited about is Penn Parmenter. Penn is talking about seeds for extreme climates. So we recorded her presentation the other day, and she did a really, really amazing presentation. So you can find out about it at GlobalSeedSummit.com. You can sign up. It's free. We do have a all-access pass for the presentations if you would like to own them, and a, a VIP pass, which includes Seed School Online. Bill, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about Seed School Online?
2: Well, if for the folks that haven't heard, it's just a great you know, it's taken on more importance, I guess, with COVID, too, as we try to move a lot of the resources online. And so, you know, I've been teaching some form of seed saving for almost 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, the basis of that was then finally 10 years ago put together in a formal program called Seed School. And the first one was nine days long. We finally shortened that down to five days five and a half days in some cases. And we started taking that all over the place. We've done seed schools, everything from Sterling College in Vermont to University of Montana. Yeah. And more and more people wanted access to the material, so we found a way to deliver seed, all, the best of that material in one day. First time I did it, I thought it was impossible. <laughs> I went to the Fairview Gardens in California. That was the enablement They just invited me down to do a workshop. That's all they said. So when I got there, there's a big poster out in front of it, Greg, that said, Bill McDormand, seed school in a day. Uh (laughs) And I looked at this poster. I go, what is that? And they go, well, that's what you're doing. And I go, well... Okay. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting. They said, Well, you teach C school, don't you? And I go, Yeah, and they go, And you're only here for a day, aren't you? And I go, Yeah, and they go, Well, that's what you're doing then.
1: <laughs> so that's nice. where C
2: school that's where C school in a day came from. And wow. so we we've done I don't know, altogether now with the both programs probably were fifty or sixty fifty or sixty around,
1: times you've offered it?
2: Between somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred graduates. and so So we took all of that, all the feedback from all those programs and all the times we've been through this and took the best of that and put it into Seed School Online. And so that it's really, you know, an evolved, it's still evolving in some ways. You know, it will always evolve. And not that the the basic information is different, but that the, the clarity and the conciseness with which it's delivered and so, by the time you get to Seed School Online, it's a pretty tight package. Right. I mean, we just went back and listen listened to it again, and we're you know thinking, oh my God, we're going to have to redo this whole thing. You know, you get that anxiety because you haven't been around it. And and actually, Bell, my wife, came out and said, "Wow, that's actually pretty good." <laughs> so right. that's how that's the process. So Seed School Online, yeah.
1: Nice. So the, uh, to sign up for the free event, go to Global Seed Summit dot com and yeah if you want the vip package you can sign up for the freebie and you'll get an email that says hey if you want the vip package go here so well bill we've been having more tech issues because you've faded out a little bit so let's just go ahead and wrap Hello. this up any final thoughts
2: you know come on home make a mess have more <laughs> fun learn how to save seeds there's abundance all around us and so much of the stress i feel in my life i'm realizing is my stress yeah. not the world's. And the more I look around at the birds and these messy plants, the more I realize that there's a lot to share out there. So that would Amen. be my ending comment.
1: Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Uh, about a month out, globalseedsummit.com. We're very excited about that. And yeah, farm out and we'll catch you on the flip side, as I like to say.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.